Well, good morning. I'd like to read a story from the scriptures, a parable by Jesus in Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham in a far-off place, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime uh, you received good things, and Lazarus, in like matter, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, good morning again. If you're new to Crosswinds, my, my name is Ken. I want to welcome our online people. It took us a while to get online this morning. We had some tech, technical difficulties, and I'm just glad to be with here at Crosswinds. And happy Father's Day to all, all the fathers. We have some great dads here at Crosswinds. Let's, let's hear it for the dads. We have great dads here, and we also have uh, great moms that are having to step up and be dads. So let's hear it, hear it for them. Um, you know, we honor you because you stand firm in your faith with God, and they stand firm by their kids in, in a crazy world. world. Um, you know, uh, a lot of dads were out there yesterday with our free car, car wash. We washed uh, 26 cars. 22 of them were guests. You guys did an awesome job showing love in a, a very practical way to um, the people in our, our things. You were a good neighbor to everybody yesterday. And... Uh, Nigel, actually, where's Nigel? He got to share the gospel with somebody, which was awesome. And, and Eric and uh, um, I think Abdu got to pray with some people that had different prayer requests. And, I, you know, I, I'm so proud of our church and your unselfishness and love uh, to others. And uh, it was just a, a really good day. Our, our message today is, oh, hell no. That, that's, that's, that's the message. See, many in our world today say no to hell. They, they say no to hell. Uh, many don't even think hell exists. According to Pew Research, um, 62, only about 62% of Americans believe in hell. Actually, only 79% of people that claim to be Christians believe in hell. 84% of Protestants believe in hell. Uh, you know, men believe in it less than women. Maybe that they're making their wives' lives hell. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, black people believe in it more than white people and Hispanic people. Um, uh, only 55% of people ages 18 to 25, 29 believe in hell. So the younger people don't believe. 
You know, today in America, um, one in six people do not believe in any kind of afterlife at all. And even in mainline Christian denominations, 31% of the people don't believe in hell. Those are people that say they believe in Jesus. And they say, oh, hell no, to hell. You know, we all struggle. I struggle personally with this doctrine of hell. I, I would rather talk to you uh, 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 about God's love. And, and there are many pastors around this town and in this area and throughout Illinois that, that don't believe in or ever talk about hell. But do you know who addresses the subject of hell more than anybody else in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus does. Um, he said, hell yes to hell. So if you claim to believe in Jesus, you might want to reconsider what you believe about hell. And because I love you, I, I want to tell you the truth, even though it's uncomfortable. Because if we won't accept the reality of hell, we won't rightly see and understand the amazing grace that's found in the gospel for us. If you say, Jesus saved me, well, what did he save you from? Hell? God's judgment? Um, what, the punishment for your sins? Why, why even seek his forgiveness if there's not a hell? Why even seek his forgiveness? Uh, why, why bother with faith at all if everybody just gets to go to heaven? Right? Why bother? Why don't we just go enjoy the nice day? Friends, the truth is, the Bible says, hell yes, there is a hell. But through the darkness of hell, we can see even better the beauty of God's love for us. You know, I've been traveling through Luke chapter 16, and it's been a hard chapter. It's been a, a very challenging chapter. I was listening, it was a, 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 a top pastor, he's, he's dead now, R.C. Sproul said he hated preaching this passage because it's like, it's convicting him, it's convicting to me. Um, and, and when Jesus was preaching through this, he said this in verse 11, he says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, true riches are what are found in heaven. And you know, we've been asking the question of ourselves, um, are we stewarding well the earthly treasure or the, the, the earthly treasure that God gives us for God for eternity? Are we, are we stewarding it for him? You know, Jesus has been challenging us on how we are using that earthly wealth, our, our money and our, and our sexuality for God's purposes. And in, in culture, we, we justify ourselves in many ways for how we choose to use our sexuality and how we choose to use our money. But then in, in verse 15, Jesus says to the most religious people on the planet, the Pharisees, those people that think they're doing just fine, who, who, who are kind of saying, oh, hell no, we're okay, God will accept us. He said this, he said, you are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Jesus, Jesus is saying, they someday may hear God say, oh, hell yes. Now, that's not what the Father wants 
for anybody. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Jesus speaks more about hell than anybody else in the Bible because he, he loves us. Our Father in heaven loves us, and Jesus loves us, and he wants, us, wants to prevent any of us from going there. And that's why he, he talks about it. But if we continue to keep justifying our sin, and instead of repenting and believing on him, we're on a highway to get there. And Jesus warns us about hell so that we can take a U-turn in our lives and, and confess our sins to him and trust in what he did for us on the cross to forgive our sins. So today, we're going to look at this uncomfortable subject of hell in the words of Jesus. So I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 19. And it says this, There, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. You know, the first character in Jesus' parable is a rich man. You know, the Pharisees assumed that the rich were blessed by God. So, of course, um, they would be accepted by God in heaven. Now, this guy is really rich. It says he was clothed in purple every day. Um, purple dye was very expensive in the first century. The, the dye was produced by the secretion of tiny sea snails and uh, making it the most expensive uh, cloth, uh, the most valuable cloth in the ancient world. Fine linen uh, refers to his underwear. He, he had um, very soft undergarments that were easy on the skin, something that really nobody in the first century enjoyed unless they were very wealthy and the man feasted sumptuously every day uh, you know most people in that time if they could get enough food feasted maybe once a year at a religious ceremony or or festival or, or, or wedding this man lived well and he ate well every day he's probably from the ruling caste he's probably a, a one percenter of his day although most of us today in suburban America, have more luxury than this man had. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed on what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sword. So in contrast, the other character is a poor man named Lazarus. And, and this is the only character that Jesus ever named gave a name to in, in a parable. You know, some theologians believe that that is what makes this scene that he's talking about real. Uh, the name Lazarus means the one God helps. And it's from the Hebrew name Eleazar, which was the third most common name among the Jews. And, and this man is a beggar. He's, he's extremely hungry, and he's just hoping for scraps to fall so that he might eat. And it says he's at the gate. Now, the gate in their culture was a place of judgment. And, and this man had been judged unworthy to even eat the scraps from the rich man's table. And, he, and he's, he's covered with sores. And, and, and this was considered vile in his culture. He was considered unclean, possibly leprous. Jesus is definitely making the point that Lazarus was socially outcast. Even the dogs didn't respect Lazarus. They did not fear this man. They just came and licked on his sores. See, Lazarus had no status in this life with either man or the beasts. 
unlike the rich man who everybody probably wanted to be with and be like and admired. Did you notice that Jesus gave Lazarus a name? Lazarus mattered to Jesus. Interesting, the rich man, the one with earthly status, has no name. And maybe this was shocking to the Pharisees hearing the story, for, for Jesus gave honor to this beggar. The poor man died, and it was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. You know, Jesus in that verse is confirming that there's an afterlife. Poor Lazarus got an uber angel ride to Abraham's side. You know, the original language, is, it says Abraham's bosom. And culturally, the bosom was the, the place of honor at a feast if you were at the host's bosom. You know, in, in, in John chapter 13, Jesus is at a banquet with all his disciples. And in, in verse 23, it says this, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at, uh, at table at Jesus' side. And that's, that's John referring to himself. John was the closest friend of Jesus. He was part of the inner circle of the three, uh, three of the twelve. And in their day, people reclined. They laid on their side as, as they ate. And John was in the position of leaning on Jesus' bosom, a, a very special spot. Others would have been at his feet. In the story, Peter has to motion to John to ask him, hey, who's the one that's going to betray you? Because he's too far away from Jesus to, to ask him himself. And, and Peter yet was in the inner circle. So Jesus is telling us this, this poor beggar has a high status at the banquet of heaven. He's at Abraham's side. Now, the Pharisees consider themselves sons of Abraham because of their heritage. And they felt entitled to go to heaven before those poor sinners and, and, and the poor. So let's see what happens. The rich man also died and, and he was buried in Hades. Uh, buried and in Hades. And being in torment, he lifted his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Notice the rich man who was living in luxury, he did not get an angelic Uber ride to heaven. Just says simply, he was buried. You know, being rich, he probably had an expensive ceremony with lots of people attending while the body of Lazarus was most likely thrown into an open hole somewhere an unmarked grave. Friends, this is a great reversal. God shows us love and care for this beggar, Lazarus. God's heavenly angels come to care for him and to lift him up. You know, in the book of Jude, uh, verse one, or chapter 1, uh, verse 9, it tells us the archangel Michael fought to keep the, the body of Moses from the devil. But here, the angels just let Satan have the rich man. And he ends up in Hades. And biblically, Hades is a place of the dead or hell. And Jesus is revealing a very important truth of what happens to us all when we die. The good news is we're all eternal. We're all eternal. So we're conscious after death. The bad news is not everybody goes to the same destination. Here the beggar is honored at a feast for all eternity, but the rich man is in a physical place in torment for all eternity. This word torment means torture or acute pain. 
And Jesus says, being in torment. So the rich man's pain is ongoing. He's being in torment. There are many that believe that when they die, they will just simply cease to exist. Death will be peaceful. Well, that's not true according to Jesus' words. And often people say empty things at a funeral like, oh, they're now in a better place. They're, they're, they're in a better place. They're, they're now at peace. Friends, not necessarily. Not, not necessarily. I, I never speak or say something so empty when I speak at a funeral. Only God knows and determines where someone's destination is, not me. You know, this is the first time I've ever preached this text, but the truth of it is the backdrop of every funeral that I ever preach. First, I say some honoring honoring things about the deceased, And, and then I transition to the gospel by saying, there's only one person in this room that truly knows the reality of God, and it's not me. And then I point to the corpse and say, because they love you, this is what they would want you to know about God. And then I tell them how they can be saved. Because I know that's what their relative would want. We are conscious both in heaven and in hell, according to Jesus. There's no soul sleep or, or no soul death. Let's look at the next verse. In verse 24, he calls out to Father Abraham. He says, have mercy on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Lazarus, in some way, can see what's happening in heaven. Hell, the Bible is often talked about by Jesus as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a, a place of deep regret. Ah, I could have been there. I could have had the feast. Arr! You know, grinding your teeth. I could have been there. I could have had joy. Arr! But in life, I, I, I chose the temporal things of this world like money and sexuality over God. There's an eternal. Arr! I could have been at the banquet feasting, but I, but I, I thirst here. See, our friends, our, our souls were meant to live on God. But in hell, there's no God to satisfy our thirst. Jesus once said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5, 6. This rich man who completely satisfied himself every day of his life with earthly treasure, totally unconcerned about God, now thirsts for all eternity. But Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for God, like Lazarus, will be eternally satisfied. This parable, again, is a a great reversal. Some who have the best life now will have the worst life for all eternity, and, and some who have the worst life right now will have the best life forever and ever. It's better to be a beggar in this life who's dependent on God than a rich man that has no time for him. Again, the Pharisees believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor, and they, they, they saw poverty as, as a curse. Friends, what do you believe? What are, what are you pursuing in your life? Notice even in hell, the, the rich man 
is arrogant and he's entitled. He, he feels like he can just order Lazarus around. He says, Abraham, order that slave Lazarus down here with a little water in his tongue to cool my t- or on his finger to cool my tongue. Now, this man is, is calling Abraham father because he's trusting in his own birthright for his mercy. Many today falsely trust in their birthright for mercy. They believe salvation comes from their heritage. Hey, I was, I was raised Catholic. I, I was Baptist. I, I was Presbyterian. I'm a Christian. I, I come from a Christian home, and, and my parents went to church Every day, I, I embrace their tradition. I, I don't object to that. I don't go, but I, I don't object to it. I'm good. I'm good. Surely, it doesn't matter how I live. After all, I'm an American, and America is a Christian nation. Did you hear that stat, those stats I put out earlier? That's a lie. America's not a Christian nation. It wouldn't matter if it was. See, as most Americans don't take the time to understand what they believe about heaven or hell. So many may end up like the rich man who says Jesus, or Jesus says is in anguish about the flame. You know, Jesus also said this about hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than for two eyes to be thrown to heaven. Where, the worm, where their worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. You know, the Bible uses another word for hell in that passage in the Greek, it's the word Gehenna. And, and Gehenna was the, the Valley of Hymnon. It was a place where some kings of Judah had sacrificed their own children to false gods. And it was cursed by the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah, and it became associated with divine punishment. And at the time of Jesus, it's, it's a place right by old Jerusalem that was a, a, a smoldering garbage pit, always on fire. Hell, friends, is a horrible place, according to Jesus. It's a physical place that we end up with if our lust for things like money and sex are the priority in this life instead of listening to God's design for our lives. God gives us both money and sex as things that we are to enjoy and to steward for him. They're not evil. Both are, though, powerful idols that will take our affection away from God. And, and, and our religious heritage can't save us. Just because, because your parents are Christians does not mean that you are a follower of Jesus. God doesn't have grandchildren, only born-again children that he receives by his grace through faith in his son Jesus. And verse 25 says, But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I, I love the compassion of Abraham in telling the rich man the truth. He says, child. He gives him respect as a, a child of God. He says, you know, because, friends, everyone God made is made in his image. They're his children. But, but friends, that, that image has been corrupted by our our, our lust for temporal things, our, our sin of walking away from God. Adam and Eve were the first children of God who lusted for more. They, they believed the lie of the devil, who is the God of this world, and, and they, they fell under a curse because they believed the serpent's words 
more than they believe the words of God. This, this man had believed the lies of men and women about how important wealth and status was. And because of that, he had forgotten what really gave him his value, that he was a child of God. And then Jesus tells us something which I think is mind-blowing here. While there is a reversal, the rich man is brought down and the beggar is lifted up, it's not about riches or poverty. Friends, it's not about riches or properties. Some might preach it that way. A Pharisee would. He would say, if good things are happening to you, you're good. And, And because bad things are happening to you, you're bad. But Abraham said to the rich man, you have received your good. He received what he thought was good, money, luxury, and sensuality. It was only his good that he was interested in, not real goodness or real treasure in God's kingdom. Instead, his life was, show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the designer clothes. Show me the decadent food and and girls and drink. But Lazarus, says, was comforted in heaven. In life, as a beggar, all Lazarus could do is depend on God. You know, I've gone to Haiti often, and you see such deep spirituality, deep love for God there, because, frankly, that's what they got. That's what they got. And here in America, you know, um, people don't care. They, They depend on God. They, they learn that dependence and, and we become self-sufficient. Lazarus was comforted in heaven. And all he could do was depend on God in life to get comfort for his heart. In his suffering, he got comfort for his heart. His reward, though, was comfort forever in God's kingdom. We, we know Lazarus had faith because he is at Abraham's bosom. Because Abraham was known as the father of faith. And, and, and while the Pharisees looked to their family line and riches to justify them, Lazarus actually had faith like Abraham that justified him before God. You know, even in adversity, when life didn't work out for Abraham, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. The rich man, he he believed there was a God. And he was trusting in the God of his fathers. But Lazarus believed God when it was hard to believe. He believed God when it was hard to believe. Friends, we are not saved by believing in God. See, the devil believes in God. He believes there is a God. But friends, you won't see him in heaven. The problem is Satan does not believe God. He does not believe God. If he did, he would repent from his rebellion. The devil knows God's word better than you and I. He knows that he will be judged in the end. But it does not matter. He wants to do what he wants to do just like some of us. The, the rich man probably knew God's word better than the poor man. I mean, it, it, this time in history, only the rich could afford their own copy of the scriptures. 
Only the rich had the luxury to study them. The poor were often illiterate and unable to open a scroll or, 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 or to open or own one. Just one book. They, they couldn't afford that. But, but Lazarus believed what he knew. He believed what he knew God said. And that's what justified him or credited him with righteousness before God. Abraham himself didn't have the scriptures. They they weren't even written until Moses a a, a thousand years later. Abraham, though, believed in an ancient promise that God had handed down from his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpappy Adam that someday one of his offspring would deliver him and his children from that serpent's curse, that that offspring would crush the serpent's head the first gospel in the Bible. Abraham was so desperate with no children, God asked him to count the stars, and when he could not, God told him, so would his offspring be. Abraham didn't even know the name of Jesus, but he believed God would deliver him through an offspring, even though at that time he had no children. In that difficulty, he he believed, and God credited him with righteousness. Friends, it's not how much knowledge of God that you have that saves you. It's what you do with what you know. Friends, do you believe God or what the world or your circumstances are telling you? It is believing God like Abraham that the Apostle Paul links to our salvation He says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. See, Jesus did not say the rich man was an evil man. There's nothing in the text that shows he was morally deficient in some way, except one thing, apathy. Apathy towards Something God cared about, Lazarus. All the words that God had read, or all the words of God that the rich man had read, had told him to be compassionate to the poor. Here's a few of them. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of uh, trouble, the Lord delivers him. Psalm 41, 1. And whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. I want you to remember that as we think about our brothers and sisters in Haiti suffering an earthquake. They have names. They're friends. Madam Hassan. And uh, Velix wasn't hurt. Who's the other one that was hurt? Oxid? Oxid. They have a name. They have a name that God knows. And, and, and we who are rich should care. But he did not believe God was the problem. He, uh, this rich man did not believe God, that, that he should love his neighbor as himself. That's just an Old Testament text. Right? That's, that's just an Old Testament text. But the New Testament says this. If anyone says, I, I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God who he has not seen. 1 John 4, 20. No, no matter how cleaned up on the outside this man was, the truth was that God knew his heart. And what the rich man loved most was himself. Not even a scrap went to help this poor man, Lazarus. None of his fine underwear were, were, were given to Lazarus to keep the dogs from licking at his source. He had no faith in God, no matter what his family background was or, or what knowledge he had. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, For when I was hungry, you gave me no food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was a stranger, you did not welcome me naked. You did not clothe me sick. And in prison, you did not visit me. And the Lord will answer saying, And they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then answering them saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do, it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Friends, kind act of the poor do not justify your sins away. They do they not earn your way to heaven. Friends, they show that you believe God. And, and that you believe what he really loves is all his children that are made in his image. And now Jesus tells us a, a frightening truth about hell. And besides this, besides all this, between us is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. You know, Abraham was compassionate, listening to this man in his suffering. But friends, there was nothing he could do for them. A, a, a great chasm had been fixed. The idea is that it was fixed by God to separate forever those under the judgment of hell and to protect those in heaven from them. Friends, there's no second chances when we die. There's no second chances. The Bible teaches nothing about a purgatory where we work off our sins. That is a human idea, a human invention, a, a tradition. If purgatory existed, you wouldn't expect, wouldn't you expect Jesus to talk about it in this parable if there was a purgatory or anywhere else? Jesus never mentioned a, a second chance after death anywhere in the scriptures. Actually, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. All the work to be saved happened right then. There's no more things that we need to work off. You either believe what God said and he did for you, that it is finished in this life and trust in it or not. You might say, oh, hell no, I'm doing it myself. But he will say to you, oh, hell yeah. When, when this rich man believed what Abraham said, was true, he says, then I beg you, Father, send him. He's still ordering Lazarus around. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And this is why 
and do not give false words or empty hopes about the destination of the dead in a funeral because those people have already received God's judgment of either heaven or hell. My words are for the family and their friends that, that still have a chance. And, and that's why I always preach the gospel there. I know if their relative is in hell, they desperately want me to try to warn those that they love. You know, there's some people that casually say they want to go to hell because all their friends will be there. The Bible describes hell as a place of isolation, darkness, and pain forever. Friends, it's no party. It's no party with your friends. No one in hell will care about you. It's only Abraham here that cares about the rich man. This is the first time we start to see that rich man maybe seemed to care about anybody but himself, but now it's too late. Notice, in even hell, he didn't care about poor Lazarus. Even in hell, he didn't care. The man only cared for his own family, which he considered his, his possession. Many today consider themselves obedient to God because they care for their family. What did Jesus say? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Luke 6, 32 and 33. Abraham gives the answer for those still living. He gives us the answer for those that are still living. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What he's saying is the Old Testament scriptures that have the gospel all throughout it, I could preach the gospel all throughout it, are enough for us to repent and be saved from hell. All the Old Testament, some, some people dismiss them, but all the Old Testament scriptures are enough to find salvation. You know, there are many today that would complain that they would repent if only God would give them some kind of a sign. But Abraham confirms here that saving faith comes from listening and believing the word of God. What does he say? Let them hear them. That is how we become wise for salvation. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The law and the prophets all demanded that we repent or that we turn around. We use that three circles illustration. You could go through the whole Bible. I had to teach through all the prophets. Every lesson I use that because we all need to turn around, turn from our sin, and find our mercy and grace in salvation in him. This word says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. And friends, I want to tell you, all of scripture is God-breathed both the Old and the New Testament. All the words are Christ's words written through the Holy Spirit through men. You may ask, well, what if people don't have the Scriptures? Will God condemn them to hell? Abraham didn't know the Scriptures. He was justified, right? It's one of my favorite places to preach the gospel. It was before Islam, it was before Christianity, it was before anything. A man believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed what he knew. 
See, all people condemn themselves to hell by their own unbelief. Romans 18 through 20 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The scriptures also tell us that God has written his law in our hearts, so there is no excuse not to believe him. But that doesn't mean people won't look for justifications and excuses, even in hell. Look what the rich man says. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. God, you're mean. You didn't send anybody to them so that they would repent. That's what he's saying. He's he's blaming God. Do Do you notice what the rich man never said? I see the light. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry I didn't treat Lazarus right. He, he never repents. He just reje- objects to what, God, or what Abraham is saying and says, no. He argues with Abraham, a man of faith who believed God about how our salvation works. Why would his brothers repent at the word of God if he did not? Abraham gives this rich man a, a startling truth. A startling truth. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Friends, salvation, again, is not about our knowledge. It's about the condition of our hearts. The truth is, a man named Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus in John chapter 9. But none of his words about what happened after he died, other than his body stinketh, were recorded. And after he was raised, a few people believed. But the majority went to the leaders of the Pharisees to get Jesus killed. That's what happened. In John 11, I'm sorry, it was John 11 that 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 was in. In John 11, 48, uh, uh, the Pharisees, who were Jesus' brothers, were only worried about temporal things. They said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And so they had Jesus, the man of God, innocent before God, crucified. Jesus died, a criminal on a cross. But he wasn't condemning them or us. He was praying for us. He he said, Father, forgive them, for they they don't know what they're doing. They're justifying themselves. And after he died, poor Jesus was laid in a borrowed tomb. And he was there three days to prove that he was dead. And on the third day, he walked out of the tomb alive again and alive forever. And he is now at the Father's bosom, at the right hand of the Father. And all who saw and believed lived happily ever after, right? Everybody who saw that believed and lived happily ever after, right? That's what happened. Nope. After Jesus, Scripture tells us, hung out with his disciples over, uh, oh, and over 500 other people, Paul tells us, that saw him alive, ate with them, and, and, and hung out with them, and heard him continue to preach for 40 days in Jerusalem, 
Then he ascended to the fathers. And he still only had a few disciples who stayed around and prayed. And then when the Holy Spirit came and preached, 3,000 new disciples believed, and they were all baptized in Jesus' name. Now, that may sound like a lot, right? But there were 70,000 brothers of Jesus who saw him crucified and then walking around, because that was about the population of, uh, of Jerusalem, right? This happened. This didn't happen in the corner of a room, Scripture tells us. This happened in the public. It was big news. They saw him walking around telling them to repent and receive his gospel. Oh, wait a minute. I'm wrong. There were a quarter million people in Jerusalem at the time of of that festival. And friends, only 3,000 believed. Friends, today... There's a few of us here. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is God and he came to save us? And he so loves us that he wants none of us to perish in hell? The truth is many just stay on the same trajectory they were on in life. And they do not repent and believe and they end up in hell. God wants none to perish today what will you do will you complain and blame god that you don't have enough evidence or or complain it's not time yet because you still want to go out and sow your wild oats and do what you want sexually or or are you going to complain you haven't the time to serve him because you have to make all that money either your complaints nor your excuses will justify you and keep you out of hell to, to say, hell no, you must do what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may, may still be saying in your mind, oh, there is no hell. But Jesus says, hell yes, there is a hell. And I love you, and you need saving. Today, friends, beg for God's Mercy and his grace. Don't, don't be like the rich man who didn't think he needed saving and found himself in hell. Believe what God said, that you need it. And it's found in what his son has done for you. Friends, there's going to come a day that we're all going to bow before him. And to some, he will say, come share in my father's joy. And others, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You were too busy with yourself to know me. Today, friends, admit your sin. Admit, be honest about it. Don't justify it. Admit it and and turn to Jesus for mercy. He's sure to give it. He doesn't reject anybody. And then follow him as your Lord. Follow him as your Lord. Listen to his design for life and, and, and follow it. He wants you to go be in his kingdom. He wants you to be with him. He doesn't want you in hell. No, hell no. He wants you in heaven. Believe what he said. Let us pray.
Father, I thank you. And I praise you for your word. It's always clear. It's always true. And Father, I pray that some today have believed what you said. They've transferred from a believer in God into ones that believe God and respond to his word. Father, I, I, I just thank you for your mercy. May the Holy Spirit come. May it convict our hearts of the truth of our sin. May it convict our hearts of the truth of the goodness of God that, that he wants to deliver us from hell. He wants to be with us forever. Let the Holy Spirit come and convict us that now is the time to make that decision. For like Lazarus and the rich man, we never know when death may come. Lord, convict hearts today that they might respond with repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. For he will accept them, he will save them, he will give them life now and life everlasting. Oh, Father, draw them into your presence. Let them know your love and mercy. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.